0: He will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Before we expound it together, Lord, thank you so much for the blood of Christ. Thank you for the message of his sacrifice on the cross that is able to save our souls. Thank you for sending somebody, a mother, a father, a teacher, a youth pastor, a friend, a neighbor, a stranger, to speak that truth to us so that we might be awakened to our guilt and to its remedy. Father, I pray that you would change us by your word, that you would cause us to receive that word that you have implanted in our hearts already. And that if there are any here within the sound of my voice or watching online or listening to the recording who are far from you, I pray that you would bring them close through the power of your Spirit's work. Lord, this morning, before we examine this word. We want to ask for your merciful kindness in the lives of our brothers and sisters who are going through trials, uh, specifically Carmen White, as she is once again in the hospital with an infection. We ask that you would heal her father and give her your grace. Uh, We pray for Ty Hartley. Thank you for his good news this week that he was able to go home and and rest in his own bed and recover there in his own home. And I pray that that recovery would be quick and complete, and that you would encourage him and draw him close to you. We pray for Shelly as well as she cares for him, that you would give her your grace and peace, and that both of them would increase in trust and faith and joy, even as a result of this harrowing trial that they have faced over the last couple of months. But Lord, I pray that this morning you would open up each of our hearts to receive what you have for us from your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This past spring, a Gallup poll revealed that for the very first time in the United States, at least as long as they've been measuring these things, fewer than half of the adults living in the United States are affiliated with an actual religious organization, such as a church, a temple, or a mosque. For years, it's been a well-established fact that the percentage of religiously unaffiliated adults has been on the rise, progressively, and now these people actually make up the majority of our culture. More people are unaffiliated with a religious organization than are affiliated with a religious organization. And yet other research suggests that in spite of this trend, interestingly, most people think that it is important to know and understand the Bible. At the very least, many people, most people find it a little bit interesting or intriguing. Uh, This is one of the reasons why in recent years, I just found out about this, some of you already have already known about it, but in recent years, legislators across the country have introduced bills allowing or even requiring local school districts to offer electives on Bible literacy. Some of you already knew about this. It's true. It's even in public schools that we're having these classes on Bible literacy, people recognize the importance of the Bible. There's this growing sense in our culture that as we become less and less religious, particularly less and less Christian, We're beginning to lose our ability to understand, for example, the literary references in all of the great works of literature that reference the Bible. Well, there's no denying that the Bible is a breathtaking masterpiece of literature. I mean, that is true. It is the best-selling, most quoted, most translated book in the world. Its phrasings and stories have become part of our everyday language. It has more than 40 authors— Writing in Africa, the Middle East, Asia, and Europe over the span of a millennium, it has captured the world's greatest minds. Not only that, but its claims are absolutely stunning. From cover to cover, it claims to be the very word of God. And literally billions of people in the world today think that's true. And obviously, that's what we believe here at Indian Creek as well. This book is the revelation of the most wonderful, important person in existence. It tells the story of the world, calls each one of us to account, and has the potential to actually bring human beings like you and me into fellowship with the wonderful creator of all things. Almost everyone agrees that the Bible is an important book. Followers of Jesus take it to be by far the most important book ever written. But let's be honest. Sometimes, for every last one of us, it's hard to get the full benefit from our Bibles. It's not always easy to get a lot out of it. Sometimes it's just difficult to understand. Even in today's text, the one that we just read, there are some phrases that are tough to wrap our minds around. The Bible sometimes feels foreign to us because it was written at a different time and in a different place. It's an assault, isn't it? Against our morality or lack thereof. And it makes us want to explain it away or set it aside. Sometimes we associate a particular passage of the Bible with religion, hypocritical and meaningless religion, and it's sometimes hard to get past that reality. And while we're we're being honest, sometimes we get our Bibles open and we read a passage of the Bible and we think, man, that's kind of boring. So here's our text. Here's where it's gonna help us today. We're going to answer this question. How do I get the most out of my Bible? How do I get the most out of my Bible? I wanna live wisely. I wanna live skillfully. I wanna know how to live in such a way that I will please my heavenly Father, know him better, enjoy him more, and if that's going to happen, I need to know how to use my Bible. I need to know how to really engage with this book. James is going to help us out in this way. Here in James, we find real, excuse me, real wisdom. Last week we discussed the reality that sometimes life is hard, it's difficult, and we need to know how to think about that. And today what James is reminding us is that real new covenant wisdom has a source. We get our wisdom from the Bible. And so if we're going to be wise people, if we're going to be people who know how to live in, in, in the world in the way that God wants us to live, the way that he actually made us to live, the way that he saved us to live, then we need to get to know our Bibles. And this text is going to give us three really simple instructions for getting the most out of our Bibles. Here they are. Uh, I'll give them to you, and then we'll just break them down one by one. Instruction number one, hear the word. Instruction number two, obey the word. And then instruction number three, don't settle for superficial. Hear the word, obey the word, don't settle for superficial. So consider with me uh, our first instruction from verses 19 through 21. Hear the word. Hear the word. Verses 19 through 21 are given to us in the form of a general principle followed by a specific application. So look with me at verse 19 at the general principle. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. These verses require little explanation and they are intuitively understandable. A wise person is a person who recognizes that she has two ears and one mouth for a reason. Now, there's probably a biological reason for it, too, but uh, it's a reminder to us, I think, that we should be twice as eager to listen as we are to speak. And and just about everybody knows that this is true, at least as far as other people are concerned. So think about this with me. Your phone buzzes. You look at what's going on. Oh, it's him. You know, the guy who will just not shut up. The guy who patiently waits for you to finish speaking with this glazed over look in his eye. Because he's not listening to a word you say. He's just waiting for the chance that he will get to be able to speak again. Because he loves to hear himself speak. What do you do when you get a text message like that? Hey, I want to hang out this weekend suddenly that list of chores begins to beckon and you feel the need to say, not this weekend, maybe some other time. Why is that? Because we know that this principle from James expresses, that what he expresses here is the absolute truth. Every person should be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. I mean, it requires very little explanation, but then he makes a specific application. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So, given that this is the case, that this generic principle is true, that every person should be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, let's make a specific application. You need to be careful to listen to the right thing. So, Think about this with me. The great enemies of our faith, the the, the devil, his armies, the world, our sinful flesh, they're all calling on us to embrace, to listen to this filthiness and rampant wickedness. And human beings are so caught up in all of it that James even has to tell believers, people who have recognized the goodness and grace of Christ, that they need to put this stuff away. Uh, the, The word means to take off like you would take off a jacket, put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. Uh, Actually, the the imagery uh, from verse 21 actually comes from Zechariah chapter three. The prophet is having this vision and he sees before him a a vision of the high priest and and the priest is dressed in filthy rags. He's got these filthy clothes on and, and the priest is not supposed to be that way. The high priest is supposed to wear clean white linen. You remember that from the book of Exodus? He's supposed to be dressed in in nice clothes, but he's dressed in these filthy garments. And so Satan is there over to the side and he's accusing the high priest. And then God says to his angels, remove his filthy garments and give him a clean robe. And the picture is clear. Through no merit of his own, even though he didn't deserve it, God, in in Zechariah's vision, uh, restores to fellowship the high priest and gives him these clean robes. And what James seems to be saying here in our passage today is that each one of us is to one degree or another walking around wearing these filthy garments, especially with reference to the types of messages we choose to listen to. See, for some of you, the problem is not that you aren't listening. The problem is what you are listening to. Isn't that right? Uh, The problem is that we're listening to the world. We're listening to the filthiness of the world. And I'm telling you that if you are trying to live skillfully and wisely in the world while listening to the world's wisdom, you're not going to succeed. You're not going to be able to live successfully in in, in, in God's economy. There are all sorts of lies out there that crowd out the truth of God's word. So uh, this, is, this is the problem with many of us. There are some of you who cannot hear God's word because it's crowded out by nonstop uh, talk radio and cable news, and it's just on for hours and hours and hours every single day. And if you don't think that that's filthiness and rampant wickedness, think again. Because if it's crowding out the word of God, then that's, it's in the way. And James is saying you need to take it off. There are some of you who can't hear God's word because it's crowded out by pop culture. Your mind is filled with filthy song lyrics or violent images or sexual sin, and you cannot hear the word of God because your mind has just got all this noise from pop culture. And James is saying, you've got to take it off and put it to the side. There are some of you who can't hear God's word because it's crowded out by legalistic lies, like God can never forgive me for that where it's crowded out by an overgrowth of bitterness toward mom and dad, or it's crowded out by anxiety over the, the million things that are about to happen or may not happen this week. And James is saying, the re- you can't hear the right thing because you're listening to all this filthiness and rampant wickedness, and you've got to take that stuff off in order to hear what God has for us from his Word. And so I just want to say that you can make a decision today to read your Bible more, or to memorize a verse. But if you're not going to cut off all those other lies, then your commitment may be little more than empty religion. Take the filthy garment off. Now, uh, these filthy garments are still a threat, but God hasn't left left us alone. He says, receive the implanted word, Or as some translations say, the word that's planted in your hearts. Uh, The very word that, according to verse 18, brought us forth. The word of God preached and read and applied to our hearts by the Spirit of God in fulfillment of the new covenant promises given long ago. The word that is able to save your souls. Receive what you already have been given, James says. So let me ask you this. Why do you think we read so much Scripture on Sunday mornings? We didn't read quite as much of it today as we often do, but why do you think we do that? Why do you think we have a children's program here at Nean Creek where we ask our kids to memorize all these verses? Why is it that we send missionaries abroad to preach the gospel and to teach people the Bible? Is it because of some literary curiosity or because of historical interest? Is it because of religious tradition? No, it's because this book, according to the word of God, is able to save your souls. It's because this book carries with it, it is really all about a central message, the message that Jesus Christ came into the world and, and fulfilled the covenant demands that God had set for his human creatures. And then, instead of receiving the blessing from that, he took the curse that we all earned when we broke those commands. And he died on the cross for our sins, and then he was raised again so that all who are united to him, all who believe in him, have the right, have the authority to be called the children of God. This word is able to save your souls. The great leaders of God's church down through the ages have understood the value of the word. We could cite many examples. The reformer Martin Luther famously reflected late in his career on the word's power to tear down a corrupted religious hierarchy. Here's what he says. He says, take myself as an example. I opposed indulgences and all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amstorf." The word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. Had I desired to foment trouble, I could have brought great bloodshed upon Germany. Indeed, I could have started such a game that even the emperor would not have been safe. But what would it have been? Mere fool's play. I did nothing. I let the word do its work. What do you suppose is Satan's thought? When one tries to do the thing by kicking up a row, he sits back in hell and thinks, oh, what a fine game the poor fools are up to now. But when we spread the word alone and let it alone do the work, that distresses him. For it is almighty and takes captive the hearts. And when the hearts are captured, the work will fall of itself. See, Martin Luther understood that the Word is able to save your souls. Have you come to a place where you found the power of the Word and the importance that God places on shutting our mouths and opening our ears to its life-giving truth? Then here's what you must do. Hear the Word. Read it. Memorize it. Meditate upon it. Uh, Study it. Hear the word Now, uh, for a lot of you, you, you know this is something that you need to do, and yet, every time you've tried, life has gotten in the way, or, or you've read something in the Bible that you didn't understand, and it discouraged you, or you just weren't sure what to do about it, or you were busy with something else, and, and you've given up. You've tried, but you've failed to hear the word. Or or maybe you think about hearing God's word and it's actually a sort of an overwhelming idea because you just don't know where to start and you're discouraged by that. So let me just give you some really practical principles that you could take with you right now that, that will help you with engaging the word of God and just help you to get started. So here's principle number one. This is sort of an aside here, but principle number one, a commitment to continue is better than a perfect plan. A commitment to continue is better than a perfect plan. So you are going to falter. You're going to drop the ball. You're going to stumble. And if you're the type of person who needs to know what color highlighter to use on which specific type of word and like how many chapters and which specific chapters you're going to be reading on any specific date between now and three years from now, and you have to have this perfectly laid out, elaborate plan, it just may be that that plan is the very thing that is getting in your way. And so if the plan is helpful for you, great. But if it is getting in the way, then toss it aside. A, con- a commitment to just continue is better than a perfect That's principle number one. Principle number two, start small. Start small. See, you'll have some days when you're able to devour 10 or 12 chapters of the Word of God, and and you'll have days when you're really hungry for the Word, and you'll do that with joy. But you'll have many days when, whether through time constraints or your own human weakness, you've got time for maybe one or two verses, And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Don't let that stop you from spending at least a little bit of time every day hearing the word of God. It is better for you to be captured by one verse than to read 20 chapters and not get anything out of it at all because you really weren't paying attention. Start small. Principle number three, ask for help. Ask for help. Now I know, You've been a a Christian for 25 years, and you still don't read your Bible on a regular basis. And I get it. It's embarrassing to admit that that's the case. But let me ask you this. Do you really think that all these other people in the room are under some sort of illusion that you are this paragon of spirituality? See, they all know what you think they don't know. That you're just a guy. (laughs) So here's what you need to do. Repent of your pride. Confess your sin to God and be cleansed. Humble yourself and go to somebody that you trust and ask for help. Ask your buddy to, to, to keep you accountable. If that person that you ask for help is even the least bit godly, they will rejoice with you at the obvious work of the Spirit in your humility, and they will join you. Ask them, ask them what, you think, what, what they think you should read first. Ask them to hold you accountable. Ask them to help you out with a, a passage that you have trouble understanding. Ask for help. Principle number four, prepare. 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 If you haven't been reading your Bible and you think that Pure Resolve is gonna make the difference between now and, and actually doing it, uh, think again. That hasn't helped up till, till now. You, you have to prepare for it. So here's some questions that you need to answer. Uh, when am I gonna read my Bible tomorrow? When am I gonna read my Bible tomorrow? Uh, what do I need to do to make sure that that time is protected? Uh, go to bed early. Do, do I need to set an alarm? Do I need to cancel my lunch plans? You have to prepare. What time am I going to read my Bible tomorrow? Uh, what part of the Bible am I going to read? Uh, if you genuinely don't know, here's what I would recommend. We're getting really practical here. I, I would recommend, just encourage you to start with the Gospel of Mark. It, it's about the one person who is the central figure of the Bible. It's the shortest Gospel. Uh, if you were to read the entire thing all together, it would take you about an hour. If you take it, break it up by chapters and just read one chapter a day, you'll get through it in about two weeks. Uh, after that, try a longer book like 1 Samuel or Acts, uh, but just get started and you have to prepare. You have to ask, answer the question, what part of the Bible am I going to read? Which Bible am I going to read? Uh, most, most of you, if you're like me, you'll need to set your phone aside and actually pick up a paper copy of the Bible because uh, that phone may be a little bit too distracting for you. Now, Many of you, you can do the phone, and you're not distracted. That doesn't bother you, and that's great. You're super Christians, and I haven't ever arrived at that uh, place in my own life. Uh, Most of us will need to pick up a paper copy of the Scriptures and read it. I know that this is a point of controversy for some, but I would also highly recommend reading a modern version, a, a version that's translated into the language that you actually speak, so that you can spend your time meditating on what it says instead of trying to figure out, you know, the Elizabethan English or whatever. But you have to take these questions in advance. You must prepare. That's principle number four. And then last principle, principle number five, take a few minutes to respond. Take a few minutes to respond. Spend some time in prayer or write down a few notes in response to what you read. If you have a question, write it down. Maybe later you can study it with a little more in-depth or or ask a buddy to, to work through it with you. Is there some specific change God is calling for you to make? Take a few minutes to respond. See, here's the point. If you want to live skillfully in the world, then you have to go to the source of wisdom. You have to go to the source of that skill, the word of God the word that brought you forth, the word that God implanted in your heart, and you have to hear it. Hear the word. That's instruction number one. Quickly, instruction number two. Instruction number two, obey the word. Obey the word. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves, James says. Here's the problem. We tend... To deceive ourselves. That's why James says this three times in this chapter. He warns us three times not to be deceived because we deceive ourselves. And how do we do this? We somehow get it into our minds that mere religiosity is more important to God than actual obedience. Uh, This was King Saul's problem. Do you remember what happened in King Saul's life Like he knew he needed God on his side, but then one day there was a choice that he had to make between actually obeying and doing what God had told him explicitly to do or doing something religious that he assumed God would really like. And what does he do? He chose the religious path and it ended up destroying his Relationship with God and his royal line came to an end, and he himself died in cowardice and despair. Saul assumed that God liked outward religion more than he liked obedience, and it destroyed him. This was the Israelites' problem during the days of the prophets. They loved these religious festivals and they loved to offer these elaborate sacrifices, but when, when push came to shove, when the time came for them to actually obey the commands that God had given them to do, they were nowhere to be found. Stream. You see, what God was looking for was not a, a group of religious observers. God was looking for a nation of obedient children, be doers of the word, not just hearers. Read the Bible, yes, but then obey what you read. Listen to sermons, yes, but then obey what you hear. If you're going to get the most out of your Bible, if you're really going to understand this book, then you have to understand that it, this, this book is not a collection of religious mantras or or things that you can put on your social media feed to make you feel better about your life or just kind of get through the day. That's not primarily what this is. The Bible is a revelation of the one true God. And here's what James is saying. It is also, when you open this book, it is also going to show you yourself. Have you found that to be true? I mean, he says it right here. He says it's like a mirror. You open this book, it's like looking in a mirror. You can see what you're like. And, and, and uh, all of us walk around with these blind spots. I mean, Jesus calls it, uh, he, he talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you're, you're noticing all the little specks of dust in your brother's eye, and you have this log in your own eye. And, and it's not until we open up the word of God and it shows us what's really going on that we begin to see what these blind spots are. See, the Bible is going to make demands on us because it is the Word of God, the one who made us and sustains us. That mirror is going to show us what you really have. And and here's the thing, folks we have been walking around with these pimples and these smears and these smudges. We see the unibrow, we see the nose hairs. And I know you're saying, Jake, gross. But listen, we've been walking around with this stuff. And the word of God, when we open it up, it shows us that it's there, and, and, and it's as if so often we see the nose hairs and the unibrow, and we walk away saying, that's, I'm, I'm good. It is gross. Now, I'm being kind of silly, and, and you might think I'm being a little bit harsh, but one of the reasons why we think that's harsh to, to say is because... The world assumes that if you love somebody, you're just going to affirm absolutely everything about them, and that's not the way that God loves us. It, we, we'd love to hear God loves you, and, and God, what we mean is, we think. God doesn't want us to change anything about what we think or feel or say or do. But God's love is different. To actually read the Bible and find that it makes demands, to, to find it in a law, like James describes here in verse 25, the law of liberty, to think that God would actually want to show me my true self so that I can put away the filth and change to be more like him, we don't like that. And what we need to remember is that, that God's commands and the discipline that so often accompany those demands are the expressions of God's loyal love for us. He's saying, I love you. Now, let me tell you how you can be all that I made you to be. Right. Yeah, we, when we get those tweezers out, <laughs> the clippers, the trimmers, it takes some time. And sometimes it's a little painful. But it needs to happen. The wise person, the person who's skilled at living, will lean into this reality. He looks into the perfect law and perseveres. He continues therein. And notice what happens. This man is going to be blessed. So to bring this into the practical realm, consider what James is inviting each of us to do. First of all, we must hear the word of God. We must put ourselves in front of it and close our mouths and open our ears and hear the one thing that's able to save our souls. And when we hear it, we must recognize its demands and do them. So there's this progression, hear, then do. But then James doesn't just leave us there. He says, he's aware that the the merely religious is always going to threaten the spiritual vitality of of the Christian. Like, we are going to be tempted to hear and then do as long as it's convenient. But then James presses in, and here's instruction number three. Don't settle for the superficial. Don't settle for the superficial. Notice what he says in verse 26. If anyone thinks that he's religious, you you know the reason he says that? It's because we think that we're religious. It's because we, we tend to deceive ourselves into this worthless form of religion. Have you ever known anybody like that? Uh, here's what one evangelist used to say. He said, the gospel light attracts all sorts of gospel bugs. And that's true. And, and a gospel-preaching church is going to attract people who are just religious. All of us are going to be tempted along these lines. And since this is so common and the stakes are so high, James is going to give us these litmus tests uh, that he describes in verses 26 and 27. Now, I'm going to go through these really, really quickly. And so you might be thinking, oh, cool, I'm off the hook, okay? Because we really didn't deep dive into them. But here's what's going to happen. James is going to go back uh, later in the book, and he's going to really drill down. So be ready for that. But he gives us these three litmus tests. First of all, do you have a bridle on your tongue? Do you have a bridle on your tongue? Uh, uh, on your tongue? Uh, as I understand it, I'm no horseman. Uh, but as I understand it, that bridle goes in the mouth of an animal so that you can keep it from going where it should not go. And also, so that you can get it to go where you want it to go. Am I, am I making sense or... Nobody thinks that that's true. Okay. Yes, I'm good. All right. So one person thinks that I'm right or is actually listening. Uh, (laughs) And this is what James is saying. He's saying if you have a bridle on your tongue, when you're not supposed to speak, you don't. When you are supposed to speak, you do. And you'll have to decide for yourself whether you fall into one category or another as to which problem you have. Some of you, you just need to bridle your tongue by pulling back on the reins and saying, whoa, (laughs) don't speak so much. Others need to learn to courageously speak up. Second litmus test, how do you treat those who have nothing to give back? James speaks of orphans and widows and their affliction. Uh, These are the most vulnerable people in ancient society. How do you treat them? Uh, the Church of Jesus Christ so often becomes this sort of club, right? Where all the people who have all their things all figured out get together and, sh- and, 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 give, e- and give each other uh, pats on the back and help each other out and have each other over for dinner. And we don't actually care for those who need it the most. What about the orphan, the stranger, the widow? Are they welcome at our table? Do we go to them? Or how about the third litmus test? Keep yourself unstained from the world. Don't let the systems and structures that result from the collaboration between wicked men and demonic powers pollute you by enticing you toward greed and lust and pride. So these are three simple litmus tests that tell us whether or not we really have heard and actually done the word. Now there are a whole host of things that we associate with true religion but are not necessarily indicative of a relationship with God at all. And what I want to say is that reading your Bible, going to church, uh, celebrating the Lord's table, baptism teaching a Sunday school class, whatever it is that you want to say, all of these things are, are, are wonderful, and many of them are necessary for the Christian, but they are not necessarily indicative of a heart that has been captured and transformed by the Word of God. If you're going to be a wise person, a person who actually leads a life that is pleasing to God, then you cannot settle for the superficial. I can't think of a better way to address this tendency than in the words of God, Spoken through the prophet Isaiah centuries before. Here's what God speaks through Isaiah. Listen to this. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes cease to do evil learn to do good seek justice correct oppression bring justice to the fatherless plead the widow's cause this is what James is saying god doesn't care about all the religious stuff we do what he cares about is obedience and how does how do we know whether we're following following that and walking in it how do we treat those who are vulnerable how do we uh, control the things that we say? Do we keep ourselves pure and unspotted from the world? And if in any way you found yourself falling short, then the next thing God says through Isaiah, just right in the next verse, might be the most important thing that you hear this morning. Isaiah 1, 18. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. You see, everything that we've talked about today requires activity. It requires obedience. And so you might be tempted to think that you just need to try harder to get in with God, to get on his team, that, that maybe he'll notice your obedience this time if you try a little bit harder and do a little bit better, but that's not the solution. If you see in your life some kind of fake religion, some kind of empty observance, and if you've been convicted of sin, the, the need for you isn't first of all to just do better. It's to come to the one who says, your sins, though they are like crimson now, will be white as wool. They will be washed away. That blood guilt that's on our hands that we could never scrub away, God can cleanse. How does he do that? He does it through the blood of his son. And that's what we are going to celebrate here in a moment. And so if you are the kind, if you're like me, you read a passage like the one that we just expounded and you find that, yes, you have the word implanted in your heart, but you haven't been hearing the word the way that God wants you to hear it. That you've been hearing a little bit, but you haven't been doing the way that God wants you to do. Here's what you need to do. God says, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when we come to the table, when we celebrate our identity in Christ who shed his blood and whose body was broken on our behalf, that is the basis on which we can actually move forward from today in obedience.